This podcast is created in partnership with Film Studies and the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Sydney. We acknowledge the tradition of custodianship and law of the country on which the University of Sydney campuses stand, as well as the Darug people, where we all grew up. We pay our respects to those who have cared for and continue to care for country. I wish I knew how to quit. I see all right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm gonna go, do you want me to go f***ing flash your lights? Take two. Film vs. Film. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Film vs. Film, the podcast where every episode we throw two different films into the ring, discuss their place in history, their modern virtues, and how they stack up against each other. Which film will hold up, and which film will be left on the cutting room floor? Today, a very special episode in honour of the Ritz Cinema and the Italian Cultural Institute of Sydney's celebration of filmmaker Dario Argento. Yes, it's high-concept horror versus low-rent slasher with Dario Argento's opera versus Luca Guadagnino's 2018 remake of Argento's most famous film, Suspiria. Both films are artsy horror movies and both films have something very sinister to say about the process of making art. And could I suggest both films are of the opinion that people who make art are either witches or sadists. <laughs> I'm filmmaker and wannabe witch Craig Anderson, and today I'm joined by my two best friends from high school, an identical twin who's never been caught for a single murder. It's Herschel Isaacs. I'm really excited about this because unlike both of you, I'm relatively new to the Giallo filmmaking experience. The first Giallo I saw mm. was two weeks ago watching Tenebrae at Bruce's house. All right, we're going to come back yeah, to this. Hang in there. That was a good very experience. Yes, very exciting. All right, now also with us is a man who gave me his very own newborn to use <laughs> in my own Argento-inspired horror movie. It's the Associate Professor of Film at the University of Sydney, Bruce Isaacs. It still remains one of the great achievements of my life that my young son, Byron, at six, month, at six weeks old, wow. was the final girl <laughs> in Craig's horror movie, Red Christmas. We even went on set. We had the best time. That was a lot of fun. And Byron had a 2 a.m. call Call time on his sheet. We feel <laughs> this kid doesn't sleep. I know it was so amazing, and he had all this crazy makeup on him. It was so nice. Oh, and today right. I've shown Byron those scenes, and he loves it. He loved watching it. Wow. Well, because we had a midwife, and she told me that's you know, right. When babies are first born, or you know, yeah. lying around, they're they're usually. Blue. And I actually sent Craig pictures of Byron um, within the first minute of when he came out. As reference. As reference point for the makeup artist to <laughs> make up Byron for the for the childbirth. This guy's in makeup in six I, weeks. Can I, just a very quick mm-hmm. thing to say, it's a very funny thing. We were at dinner, me, Craig, Rebecca, Herschel wasn't there. I can't remember someone else. Maybe Ashley was there, my niece. Oh, yes. Anyway, Becky goes to the toilet or something. Craig goes, I'm going to have to ask you something that might, tell me if it's inappropriate. <laughs> What do you guys think about your baby being in my movie? And I just went, Craig, that's one of the most beautiful things anyone's ever asked me. <laughs> it was like the greatest thing. I was so Aww, ecstatic. That was cool. And I just said to Craig, from me, it's the biggest yes you could ever have. Let me check with Rebecca first, okay? <laughs> and then it was just the loveliest weekend. I'll tell you what, it was much harder asking for the placenta. Uh, <laughs> Not from man, you guys. No, I got it from someone else there as was well. A full, from us, there was a proper no, placenta. From, uh, um, a woman who was producing Compass at ABC at the time, and I was there, and she, she mentioned she, you know, she was pregnant, and I said, what, I'm making this horror movie. Is there any way, you, if you're not using your placenta, we can use yeah. it as... Jeez, how do you, you know should, exactly? Oh, you should have seen what it looked like. And I remember our only stipulation 
was don't let Byron touch the placenta. Yeah, that seems fair. I mean, that seems reasonable <laughs> to me. <laughs> Try not to get the placenta blood on Byron. Don't, don't let him juggle the pieces of yeah, placenta. Let's keep him away from the placenta. That a, was my goal. A biohazard. But that's low budget. And it was amazing. It was a what a wonderful film experience. But you know what? what? No, it was a great movie. Oh, people should check it out. It's on. Um, um, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Shutter. It's uh now you can get it everywhere on umbrella. And if you're films, into that so. kind of, um, if you're into Argento, if you're into Argento, and D Wallace is in it. D Wallace is amazing. Yes, it's got D Wallace. Awesome. She's D from ET and Cujo, e. and she um, loved Byron. She would just push him around everywhere when he's praying. Oh, that's so sweet. That was so nice. Because I, I, I was shooting non-stop. Yeah. We only shot it all in 10 yeah, days. Yeah, well, you were shooting constantly around the clock. I, so I, I, didn't, didn't, I only saw you a little bit. Yeah, and I didn't get to see D hanging out with your baby. Yeah, it was, was so nice. So cute. She was really lovely, actually. Wow. Okay, so we all grew up in the suburbs of Western Sydney and the films of Dario Agented littered the horror section of our favourite video store, Colleton Grogan Flicks. Bruce Herschel... I have a feeling that you were both a little later to Argento than I was, but uh, do you have any memory of the videos of yes. Argento in that store? What do you remember? So I told Herschel the yeah. other day. So I invited Herschel over, mm-hmm. hang out, we'll watch an Argento movie. He got Tenebrae. Yes. I said to Herschel, that's one of my favorite That's Argentos. one of my favorites. Okay. It's the I bloody best love movie. Tenebrae. Yeah. It's right? an amazing. And if you're into yeah. writing mm. and the whole idea of the author and the death of the author and the killer of the author and that sort of thing. Yeah. Anyway. I remember Grogan Flicks, they had a copy of Tenebrae. They had most of the Argento. And it is a picture of a woman with a sheet in front of her mm. and the eyes cut out and her eyes are like wide in front of the open holes of the sheet. Now, when I was a kid, for some reason, like an optical illusion, I thought it was a nun's habit. But mm. it's not. It's the famous shot in Tenebrae of the woman with a sheet in front of her that's going to be ripped off and that she's going to be slashed. But uh, ever since we went down this, I mean, we're talking about Giallo a lot, yeah. and gonna, you know, I started thinking, so the opera poster of the implement put yes. into the person's yes. eyes. Yes. I saw that at Grog and Fleet. That's yeah, right. I'm sure that was that's there. Right. No, yeah. I, that is in my notes because I remember seeing that. That's yes. the first uh, exposure to opera. Argento. They had opera there and they had that excellent image of her with the needles uh, taped yeah. to the bottom of her eyelids. And Which I, has become like a big Argento image, right? Yes. A big sign of yeah. Argento. You know that image of the eyeball with the needles that are poking up at the, the eyes. There, uh, there was another tape inside of Grog and Flicks um, for Tetsuya, the body horror film yeah. from Japan, and it had a very similar poster on the VHS, the, the yeah, two right. tapes. And I always used to confuse both opera <laughs> and body hammer or whatever it is, Tetsuya, yeah. the first film. Uh, the other one I remember at Grog and Flicks was Deep Red, Profondo yeah. Rossi, which yes. which had the um, the ventriloquist dummy on the it. Dummy, the dummy, is, yes. is that the oh, dummy yeah. laying on the ground? Uh, it, he's it's sort of sitting like, up and then there's like a pool of red and yeah, it's sort yeah, of written yeah. in red. But it also, I confused that because also Grong Flicks was Magic with Anthony Hopkins that also had... That was an Argento though. No, it's not no, Argento, okay, yeah, but yeah. it's a very similar cover. Because okay. I just remembered like going down memory lane and yes. walking around so I don't know, Grog and I don't Flicks. know Magic, Anthony Hopkins. I don't know Magic at all. Yeah. What? Yeah. It, that's the I one where the ventriloquist dummy talks to him. He's like really young. Wait, it's wait, before when was Elephant he making Man. this? And does he suddenly like, become Hannibal Lecter? When the, when no, <laughs> no, but he does go crazy. The dummy owns him and and sort of cuckolds him when he falls in love with a woman, this dummy that he tries and keeps in like a... Oh, i check that out. Who directed it? Oh, it might be because Anthony um, Hopkins. Oh, it couldn't. Be, maybe it's Arch. He, uh, he, what's the Sir Lord Attenborough? Maybe it's an Attenborough. It's not Richard. Yeah, Richard Attenborough. I think it is. I think he directed. Because Richard Attenborough, I I sometimes confuse with Hopkins in early roles because he ah. did one of my favourite British movies, which is 
what is it like Rillington Place? Something Rillington Place. Ten Rillington. Yeah, think, which is yeah. about a serial killer, serial killer and yeah. based on a true, which is just a glorious movie. Wow. Didn't we watch that in South Africa with Mum and Dad? I can't remember. I saw it about. 10 years ago maybe and I was so blown away and now it's one of my favourites for those of you listening if you're into serial killer stuff it might be 10 Wilkington Sil- plays serial killer or movies Rilling- yeah, yeah. Serial killer actions. no no so this is not this is a serial killer <laughs> film based on a true story and it's kind of kitchen sink British realism meets the serial killer film and wow. it's brilliant yeah Craig Magic 1978 yeah Richard what? Attenborough yeah it yeah. is Richard it is. so Richard Attenborough I wow. believe also directed 10 Wilkinson plays. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, so he became obviously a major film. He did Gandhi and, you know, all the Oscars and so on. Two of the videos, um, I don't know if uh, Grog and Flick said these two, but the video Nasty's List, the, the 80s, which is very, a, a big momentous shift in, in censorship and video and, and the video nasty like scare of, uh, what yeah. do you call it, the satanic panic of the 80s. Yes. There was a list made in England of this of 72 okay. tapes that were banned and video stores were raided and you would get arrested, some video store owners, and, and video, if you had these videos. Two of them are Argento. What? Um, Tenebrae and Inferno were on that list. Well, Inferno is like not as Well, of course, it was intense. a mad list. But Evil Dead point, 2 was on the list. But at yeah, that you know? point, Inferno's not rated that highly, though. At that point, no. No. Argento's gone past no, But it was all about fear and, you know, panic. It wasn't mm. actually yeah. about... The, some of them were the cannibal holocaust, and some of them you did yes. go, oh, yeah, snuff. Well, Giallo be. were hit and miss, or Giali. Uh, yeah. I was, so they hit mm. and miss because I watched the, the New York Ripper. Uh, mm-hmm. The full cheek. Uh, the full cheek about a week ago or so. And for me, that's... Far more miss than hit. Yeah. But Fulci is a bit like that, right? Fulci can sometimes hit gold and then he'll do odd things. You've got to watch the, the Beyond or House by the Cemetery. Yeah, all of those are wonderful. The, 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 the trilogy of zombie but films. But Fulci, like, he's just off his head. That It's worth watching <laughs> anything he does. He's ma- the Beyond is excellent. Yeah. Yeah. It's set but, in the um, New Orleans. I uh, think that of any filmmaker we've done on this podcast, Argento, or in fact any of these Italian genre filmmakers, are the ones you can't bring a. Rotten Tomatoes on Metacritic too, <laughs> because they're just too anomalous. They're too weird. Yeah, but even in today's context, because I've got that in my notes here for the remake 2018 Suspiria that we're going to talk about shortly. Mm. But I don't think you can bring um, a review kind of lens to any of this no, work or to most of this work because it's too divisive. It's too but weird. But even as I dis- was discovering them like in the last two decades, just myself as a teenager and then an adult, I was finding these movies – on VHS, because uh, for listeners that don't know, I would collect VHS. I'd go to VHS and I'd keep finding these old tapes and I'd watch stuff. Before they became famous and got put on Blu-ray yeah. and made into mm. Criterion. And th- these horror films, the Giallo in particular, are and Fulci is a very big culprit, but Argento is so close to Fulci in not making sense most of the time. You yeah. watch them and the experience is... I'm scared because I'm not sure what the hell's happening yes. or what you were thinking you were making, but you did it with such confidence and flair that I was like, but, okay, and, and well, say, I guess it's there's just something tremendous here. fun. Anytime you engage yes. in these movies. Also, I mean, the thing I'll add in, which is we're going to talk a bit about today, is um, these are in everywhere unhinged movies. Yes. And I don't go and watch an Argento or a Fulci looking to be placated by this makes sense. <laughs> This is symmetrical. No. This is narratively harmonious. No, in fact, throw that out. Throw the playbook out. What I'm looking for is for you to, like, assault me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be watching it. I'd it's go and true. Watch and assault else. is a good way to describe yeah. the music. The, the, yeah, absolutely. Fulci does some shots that are crash 
Zoom. Crash, crash focuses. Zoom. Yeah, yeah. Not crash zooms. Oh, yeah, yeah. Crash focuses. Yeah. There's an amazing one where um, someone looks <laughs> up at the banister and you realize that the whole time you've been shooting from a high angle and you're not sure why. And then the character goes, and that's where he hung himself. And it cuts to the shot where it then crash focuses. <laughs> Not zoom, but just crashes from yeah. the fur- furthest distance of the lens down at the two people looking up at what is now the foreground. Yeah. And it crashes in on it. It's like, what just happened? I know. And the truth is, what's so beautiful about these movies is they established a kind of visual style mm. um, that got picked up in some ways. But you had to be pretty confident to try to make it work because they were B-grade <laughs> filmmakers. Yeah. So someone like Tarantino came around and he thought, well, I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know, like, I'll give it a shot. Because I can, I'm Quentin Tarantino, and it's referential. But they were just doing it because they thought it was artistically experimental. <laughs> it's fun. And the other thing I'd say is because I'm, I'm new to it, and you guys know it all so well. Mm. The other thing I'd say to our listeners, if you don't know it that well, just stick with it for a little bit, though. Yes. Because it's jarring at first. I remember, you know when we started watching Tender Brand, yes. and whoa, whoa, what's going on here? What's happening? And then when, when the goblin music kicks in, oh, <laughs> that's when you yes. sit there and go... This is either the strangest thing I've ever seen or it's an absolute work yes. of genius. But now, so you'll talk about it. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll come we'll to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll come to that. All right. As always, today's episode will be full of spoilers for the two movies we're discussing. And if other films pop up as we chat, we'll do our best not to ruin them for you. Let's get into it. Take one. Our first film is Opera from 1987. Italian director Dario Argento was extremely well-known around the world for his colourful and bloody horror films that were a part of the well-known Italian murder mystery genre, Gialli. Uh, In the mid-80s, he was asked to direct a theatrical version of Verdi's Macbeth and had a horrible time. (laughs) But like all great artists, he decided to turn his experience into a positive and the 1987 horror film Opera was born. Also known as Terror of the Opera, we follow the intense ordeal of a young opera singer who is thrust into the spotlight when the lead singer of Verdi's Macbeth is injured just hours before opening night. It turns out that the demented man behind the accident is a psychopath who is hell-bent on murdering anyone the young singer gets close to. The murderer is revealed at the beginning of the third act and then taunts the protagonist in a final showdown. The movie features gory murders, sporadic narration, colourful designs and very interesting point of view shots. It had a promotional screening at Cannes and was picked up by the American distributor Orion. However, due to financial difficulties, it was not released in cinemas but rather throughout America as a cut-down version for blockbuster video. Bruce, as our resident Argento fanatic, (laughs) what's your take on opera? What a glorious and deranged movie uh, this is. Uh, this is our attempt to come to terms with what Argento is. So this is what Argento is not. He's not a guy that's going to let you rest easy while watching a movie. <laughs> this is not going to provide a smooth, peaceful, harmonious experience. And it's not just Argento. Argento comes out of a tradition of genre filmmakers and especially European genre filmmakers. And the Italians were amazing. He's an Italian filmmaker where they would be pushing your buttons. They would be like pushing the buttons of the spectator. So the giallo, I just want to quickly say what it is. It means yellow. It's just a translation of the word yellow. It came to define a genre of works that emerged around, 
I would say the early 1960s. So if you're interested in this stuff through Argenta, check out a guy called Mario Bava. Yeah. Bava is just like the best, right? <laughs> Bay of Blood, forget about it. One of the greatest but it's films also ever made. The best thing about it, it, for me, like I've seen Black Sunday, I've seen Black a few Sunday. others. Black Sunday. And they're theatrical. They remind me of like I'm watching a play. Yes. Or so everything's about performance, right? Yeah, it's so everything's cute. performative. The whole aesthetic is to say, look at me, I'm performing something for you. In yeah. a way, we'll come back to that with opera. Yeah, doesn't opera is yeah. the most explicit version of this. That kind of underpins so much of what we're going to talk about today, that concept of the performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even in Sospiro Guadagnino, the yeah. way he makes it about dance yes. Yes. Yeah. and about the body and about music, right? Because yeah. that's so much about what opera is and, in fact, all of Argento. But the giallo became this huge genre, you know, like in Italy how they discovered that if you made money, like in a spaghetti western, you just made more of them. So, you know, we think of the spaghetti westerns as Sergio Leone, but in fact, there are like 700 spaghetti westerns. That's how many they made, right? I, I couldn't believe I started. I was hesitant when collecting VHS tapes yeah. to do westerns because I, I wasn't. That was my least favorite genre. But I kept finding so many Italian. There's um, so man, much cool stuff. A man named Nobody, a Nobody yeah. name, and then there were like a thousand Nobodies, and then there was um, that uh, Bud Spencer. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they well, just never stopped. There's like you know, if you want to get into the Django movies, it's like Django, oh, and yeah, Django, of and Django, Django the Bastard, and you know all that stuff. <laughs> so, but the Giallo became a. a companion genre, which is, the best way to describe it is, it's a whodunit, so people are getting killed, usually multiple people, it's almost always set in some kind of urban space, so it's like a genre of the city, and not of the country, mm-hmm. and it's usually done in incredible visual style. And could I say, which is kind of why the ending for me, and we'll come to it, but why well, the, the ending is such so a, jarring. And, and that was an additional ending, right? That was an originally yeah. part of the ending to opera, but I'll come back to that in a second. So Argento, um, when he made The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which mm. I believe was released in 1970, which is the first film the Ritz are showing as part of the retrospective, we're all going to the yes. premiere uh, on, on August 23. Um, immediately, because I did a lot of research for this for my book, The Art of Piosuno, Hitchcock and His Imitators. You can now get it get from book. Oxford University Press. Um, when I was researching this, you could read uh, reviews of the time, early 1970s. When he released Bird with the Crystal Plumage, people were announcing, like, within the next week, we've got a new Hitchcock. No one's ever seen wow. anything like this. This guy's visual style is like nothing you've ever seen. And even though that first movie... It's not as gory, it's not as violent, it's not as sadistic, but wow, when you watch it, the style on show. And it's hard for me to explain what I mean by the style. Like, I look at it like this. If I asked the two of you, name the filmmakers that you know who, when they're making a movie, are fascinated by visual style. Not just telling the story that's on the script, Mm. but who's being imaginative with the visual form, the oral form of cinema, the music, the cutting, and so on. Like, who would you name? Name some people. Well, uh, definitely Hitchcock. Because, so so but, Hitchcock, uh, Hitchcock uh, giant, right? jumps out of me. I always think Mia, Mia uh, Ghibli, um, Mia oh, uh, Miyazaki. Miyazaki, amazing. Like, yeah. so, but in animation, animation yeah. has to live and die by its visual form, sure. right? Unless you're like this. But if you go to Hitchcock, because it's coincidental, I've just gone, I've been watching old Hitchcock, right? Because I haven't seen him in so long. I watched The 39 Steps, Lady yeah. Vanishes. When you watch The 39 Steps, I think 
Hitchcock is a wonderful comparison with Giallo when Giallo is very good. Yeah. Because you've got that curiosity of the detective mystery and whatever. Mm. But in the Giallo, they're just adding a hell of a lot of gore and, and murder and stuff. Yeah, but it. also... It's like the best kind of Argento's product. lifting heaps of stuff from Hitchcock, right? Yeah. So there's a great scene in a Hitchcock movie called The Lodger, which is a silent movie from 1927, which you can see all over opera. Right, the way he uses the gaze, the way of looking at things, and obviously that's a massive thing in this movie. And there's definitely the ravens mm. in reference. The to ravens the to the birds. So the, some of the shots of the ravens, yeah. you go and yourself, like the plucking out of the in eyes. In the birds, right? yeah. 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 So in the birds in the Chalk movie, you get a very famous scene where um, the uh, the grandmother, she the mother, she goes over to this guy's farm. And he's been killed by the birds. And he's laying in a corner. And his eyes have been plucked out. I don't know if you guys remember that scene. Mm -hmm. But when you show it, you get a, a triple jump cut to the eyes, like from far to close to close to. And Argento does that literally in opera. And he they actually kind does of did the that, triple jump cut. And right? don't think they kind of did that in Tremors as well. Just want yes. to <laughs> no, just, no, hey, no, hey, that's a classic. No, yeah. but you, it shows you. Never forget. So, okay, so the visual style is everywhere in Argento. The flip of that is... Dario Argento, Lucia Fulci, um, Maria Bava, they don't care as much about story. So the stories often don't make any sense. <laughs> like I was watching opera this week and just reveling in how stupid it is. Like it's such a dumb movie. You know, but when I say that, I'm saying with with ad admiration. I also don't it's know what I can say seriously. It's on dumb on a level of narrative. Yeah characterization. I don't know why anyone's doing what they're doing. But do you know what's amazing about opera is that it's like, oh, you're so close to the Phantom of the Opera. Yes. Which, which yeah. Argento did make a remake of Phantom of the Opera, or make yes. a version of that, right? But also, I, I, when I was watching, I was like, oh, this reminds me of something. And it was the Palmer's Phantom, Phantom of Paradise, the Paradise, yeah, right? which, which is his homage to Phantom, to Phantom of, the of the Opera, opera right? but also to this B-grade Genre cinema. Yeah, but you're so close to Phantom of the Opera, just use the whole story and it'll make sense, Argento. <laughs> yeah. Relax, just this, don't change it. Well, hey, can I, we'll come back to this in a <laughs> second. So I'll come back to this later with mise en scene, right? Because yeah. it's one of my favorite scenes in all of Argento. What about how they catch the killer <laughs> where, the, where the director goes, wait, we have an eyewitness. Mm. So I'm thinking, okay, the eyewitness is like someone who might have seen the killer. No, it's the ravens. <laughs> they, uh, so let's throw the ravens out there and that bird... We'll see the killer yeah. in an audience of about 5,000 people. But also, like, the rationale... You know, it makes no it, sense. It the thing That's about Argento is Argento doesn't care that the three of us are going to go, that is the craziest <laughs> and dumbest thing. What care. Argento cares about is when the director calls out, now, and the thing crashes through the window, we all jump. And then when the ravens come out, did you see all the jump cutting? Yeah, it's mm -hmm. awesome. That is just such tight and, like... To, in technical terms, you're crossing the line constantly, so you're totally disoriented as a spectator. And then when the birds go at the killer, the whole sequence is just a marvel of making you feel intensely for cinema. And it's visual and it's oral. It's got nothing to do with storytelling. See, I, wa I want to echo that as stupid. well. I want to <laughs> echo that as well because uh, my advice, in having come to it new, as I've said before, is. Try not to think your way through yes. Argento and rather try to feel your way through yeah. Argento. Yes. Because what about the scene in opera where, um, and I've forgotten his name, I was actually reading about him, quite a sad story, the, the director, yes. he um, had HIV and he died in 1990. Oh, I know about yeah. this, yes. So what, what was interesting about this, what about when he walks on stage and he starts reciting Macbeth, oh, Macbeth per yeah. chance to dream, and then you're thinking... You're not going to say any more, are you? Because this is this is absolutely nuts. Like, you, you, you're absolutely taking the yes. piss or something. But then he keeps on going on, yeah. like with quoting. No, but this is the thing it's with. So weird. It's 
like the challenge that we have to give our listeners here and to anyone who's going to check out the Argento um, retrospective is you got to park your narrative expectations at the door yes. or you're not going to make it through these movies. Your desire for plot to make sense <laughs> needs and, to relax. And the other thing I'd yeah. add is... Or, or you're not going to make it through. You're going to be angry within yeah. five minutes. And the other thing I'd add is the movies that have come along subsequently to great box office success and really cult status, movies like Scream and, and those sorts mm. of things... There's so much of those movies that you see in the earlier works of these people. Mm. So if you can watch it in that kind of way, yeah. you can pick Scream apart if you if you want to look at continuity, if you want to look at at, at storyline. But if you just want to have a good time and listen to you know Nick Cave on the soundtrack or something like, there are compliment complementarity with the yeah. goblin music, with the close-ups, the the incredible gore. Like I can't believe some well, of the scenes. I think well, the gore in opera though is over the are you top. Gonna, are you gonna, I feel like I'm sorry to the audience, yeah, we, we listeners, we didn't warn you on on this. Oh yeah, we should. Because I realised, yeah, we we've already released our last um, blockbuster <laughs> ones, and we didn't say. If you're not used to exploitation, this yes. is, this could be difficult. And and I like what you, you say know. there. This is an exploitation kind of cinema. It is. I want to come back to that in a second okay. because we're not talking about classical form. We're talking about exploitation is – I mean, we could talk about this for months, right? But let's come back to that in a second. I wanted to say when you say Scream as riffing on this stuff, you're totally right. The difference is you could never produce a giallo in the American tradition because Scream is narratively so perfect – Right, it's beat by beat by beat. It all makes perfect sense. Whereas, that's not what it's not just Dario Argento. That's not what Lucia Fulci cares about. It's not what Bava cared about. Right? Mm. They were making different sorts of movies. And the other thing I want to add also is, in the American tradition of horror, um, there's a sense in which what people do should make sense. Yeah, like motivation should be rational. In the giallo, motivation should, in the best of all possible cases, be completely irrational. So one of the things I love about watching giallo is... And dysfunctional. Like completely product dysfunctional. Of dysfunction, yeah. So what I like about it is not even the protagonist and, and antagonist alike tend to be relatively irrational sorts of people. Like, they don't have normal... Yeah. Love relationships. Yeah. They're <laughs> nuts. They're like, they're, oh, and uh, they're like, they live on the periphery of relationships. Mm. Their sexual desires are a little bit weird. And the last thing I'll say about that is if the classical horror movie in the, in the Hollywood tradition is about like traditional desire, traditional love, relationships like a mother, daughter in the existence, And, and also m- morality. And morality. Traditional morality. How a family should work yeah. or relationship should work. The, if the sexual object in a traditional movie He's like, it's okay to feel that. Like, I love that woman. I love that man. I love my daughter in The Exorcist. Mm. In a giallo, what you love, what you desire is weird. And it puts you in a kind of weird corner. So giallos are entirely fetishistic. And by that I mean they're all about people who have desire like that is deviant. Yeah. The like more I everyone's watch, deviant. And the more right. I watch, and I'm starting to rack up my knowledge of, of these movies, the more I get drawn to people like David Lynch, where oh, uh, totally. you can jump well, around David Lynch meaning. is a total Argento nut, right? Yeah. Because all of David Lynch is fetishistic. Like, I can love a woman's red nails, but what does it say about my desire? And in a, in a giallo film, the, the villain in opera is somehow tortured by his own 
like voyeurism of mm-hmm. a woman when he was a young person, and what does that say about his desire? And then you discover that in fact the woman, who's the hero of the movie, has got a very odd kind of weirdness to her as well. Like mm-hmm. none of these people mm-hmm. are coded in the normal ways that we. Can you imagine any of these people stepping out into a, an American horror movie? It's like it would be nuts, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing, I, I, the, the one thing that I, something I really love actually about opera. I found very interesting was you know like it's so caught up like passageways and hidden and yeah. hidden pathways and I think for me anyway I was thinking that was kind of symbolic of like the complexity in the heroine's mind as yeah, it starts like to the fracture. unconscious it starts to so become it's very fragmented Freudian. Right? yeah all of GLA and the brain the, be- very the beating brain yeah yeah so you know the idea of there's a trauma from your youth or your childhood that is in, I would say, 50% of GLO. Like which the Argento's best, which is, is something deep we're going to come to yeah. with the next film. Ab- absolutely. Especially. So mm. the idea yeah. that you're somehow traumatized as a child and that that traumatizing is not like about a physical thing but has traumatized you mentally. And that's led to weird kinds of desires that you don't understand yourself. And, and it's so interesting, all throughout the 70s and late 60s, uh, in Europe, not just Giallo, but exploitation was everywhere. Yeah. Uh, Franco, uh, Jesus, yeah. Jess, so Jesus Franco in in in, in France, uh, uh, in Spain, in Spain um, yeah. Armando de Asori was someone I I liked the horror films yeah. about the blind dead, and there's a whole bunch of, it's it's like it's it's the grindhouse. It's the yep. um, we want to show you things, whether it's nudity or fetishism yep. or something that you aren't allowed to see. We want to show you small sequences, and we don't care how it's joined. Yeah. We're just going to put something in between it. And I love That's that. what this type of movie is inheriting. You know, Argento. And it just happened to catch on in a bigger way. Yeah. And, and the thing about those movies is you couldn't see that stuff in the American tradition. Well, like I think it only American, existed in the B exploitation. They took it and made it into what is the 80s cycles of um, slasher films, yeah. right? They made it mor- moralistic. Or, or, yeah, it's so much know. cleaner, though. Yeah, right? it, 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 absolutely. It's not great. It's, yeah. It is like a package that is like easy to swallow like yeah. McDonald's. What's movie. going on with the end of opera? It's a Sound of Music reference. What yeah. the hell's going on there? Well, Tell I think me. it's about... So one of the, as I mentioned before, one of the interesting things about the Giallo is the locale of the city. Yes. It's almost always a city. It's often Rome, sometimes Venice. I think the relocation is you're free, like you're freed by nature. Mm -hmm. You leave the city. But that becomes one of the, I don't know how you want to read it. It's either the worst sequence in Argento's career <laughs> or you read it as a surrealist uh, I thought experiment. It was, I thought I was watching a bad file. I thought something had gone wrong because it's that weird. Well, it's so odd. I just love how the director screams out, he's not dead. He's yeah. here. Yeah, run. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she runs and then there's a wide shot side on yeah. and he's running behind her. Like, where did he come and what about from? The, what, about the news, what about the news broadcaster? He's giving away all the detail to keep the viewer up to date on what's yes. happened. It's as though he's speaking to the viewer but he's just reading a news broadcaster. <laughs> and, and, and then the, mad. Uh, yeah. maybe 50 to 100 police officers run up there <laughs> like it's the end of um, Indiana Jones' and what about Temple the dude, of Doom. And, 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 and the, guy so from, the guy coming from off screen to tackle the person <laughs> running away. You're thinking... 
This is okay. like was filmed. Now, like, what know. do we know? That was tagged on. It was tagged on. No, he didn't I want to. I don't think he wanted it. I think they tagged it on as closure for the film. This was very common, right? This happened so it frequently. It could have been also part of the American um, stipulation. Actually, that's an I interesting think, point because they had to recut it, as you say, right, yeah. for the version that got wider release. I mean, that happened to Argento a few times in his career where people didn't want to release what he was doing uh-huh. because, like, how are you going to make money off it? It also changes the, the, the ending for the heroine substantially mm. because if you think about it, she's now at one with nature and she's taking care See, of I didn't that. even read it as that. I thought she'd lost her mind at the end. I mean, she may have lost her mind. I mean, I don't know what you guys think. <laughs> she but may have lost her mind. She's staring at this thing going, free. But she's, free. she's, but she's kind of freed it from, from I know, its but imprisonment. It's, it's, so, um, it's so outlandish. It's so... But did, I, like, I'm, I'm think, I'm, I, I see Argento in the background just cracking up. Yeah, see, that's what I'm it's saying. It's so ridiculous. Do, are you all thinking that he must have intentionally made it look like the Sound of Music? Because when I first yeah. saw yeah. it... No, 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 yeah. I think it's a reference to Sound of Music. But when I saw the interior shot, with the open window on that beautiful rolling lawn. Yes. Mm. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I know. It's, but, but I mean, it, it's been a long... Runs it's outside in the same outfit as Maria running around <laughs> on the so hill. Bruce, I just want to check, though, that you will get into the, go- <laughs> into the goblin music in your yeah. mesons. But I mean, but I've got to say, in terms of goblin, though, that was... I don't think goblin were involved in opera. No, but where, where did the I heavy metal... Where did Brian Eno's heavy metal yeah. come from? I so Brian Eno uh, was the... I don't know. Look, heavy metal was a huge thing. That kind of... Very black metal. I think that was him in response to what America was doing. You know, because that metal had entered into slashes yes. and, yeah. and become associated with slashes yeah. a lot. I think you need to see this. I, I actually don't recommend you watch opera first. No, no way. Because when the music You mean in terms in, of Argento's career? Yeah. yeah or, I or think even you should watch G- it earlier. Or even the Giallo movies. Yeah. Because the music is so... Jarring, yeah. That you might sit to there and go. To be perfectly honest, I nice. love the music, right? I do because know. I love the, some of the synth stuff that takes place. I love the use of the Verdi. Um, I mean, I love that. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. That's all great stuff. Right? But yeah. the the thing that he's trying to do when it's like. We're in the, ma- the mind of the psycho. <laughs> listen to the horror music. Yeah, but metal it's also because it's dated so poorly, it's you know. So because that had a moment of about four years, yeah. and now it sounds completely absurd. One other thing I laughed at was uh, in the opening titles, Argento. It's written. An original idea by Dario Argento, which uh, once I the movie progresses, I was like, yeah, okay. But at first, I was like, come on, this is fan of the opera. Yeah, yeah. What the hell are you talking about? And I remember interviewing uh, Bill Richmond, who wrote The Nutty Professor with Jerry Lewis. Ah, right. And um, in that interview, it, this, this is uh, about ten years ago, and the man was in his nineties then, and he was an, an amazing. Uh, writer and also played the drums for Sinatra and and wow. met Jerry Lewis by playing the drums and they said can I write for you and went on to write a whole bunch of Jerry Lewis films with him once he broke up with Dean Martin but he said when writing The Nutty Professor Jerry goes okay so the credits are going to say an original idea by me Jerry Lewis <laughs> and Bill Richmond goes well are you sure it should just be you Jerry <laughs> and he goes you sure you don't want Robbie Louis Stevenson who wrote Jekyll and Hyde? Nah, it's just me. That fil- that book is nonsense. It's got nothing to do with the Nutty Professor. And Bill Richmond had to argue to get uh, wow. Robert Louis Stevenson Should the credit. Show how the egos play into these <laughs> yeah. things. And Argento, like a lot of these massive Italian kind of alters who... They knew there was something special. Mm. And they also knew they were special into the global cinema. Yeah, so they weren't just great Italians. So they thing. were acknowledged. Yeah. Right. They were famous because they yeah. were incredibly financially viable. Yes, and but also they were artistically creating a, like the next wave of the Hitchcock language. Like, uh, they, they were a little bit like the rock stars, weren't yeah. they? Oh, after Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Argento's a rock star. Mm. And then he, I mean, look at the run he's got. He makes the trilogy, the animal trilogy, which is amazing. 
that's deep red in the mid 1970s, which yeah. is just astonishing. Um, he goes. But then over he does his America. horror stuff. Yeah, yeah, but he goes over to America. Yeah. to meet um, Romero, who's yes. doing Dawn of the Dead. And, and he's he says, doing, "Can I do an edit? Can yeah. I cut it? Can I do?" The and I'll say that I haven't yet working. seen Deep Red. You've never seen I Deep Red. Seen Deep Red. Oh, because man. as I okay, said, we got to go to the ritual. We got to check it on the big screen. Yeah, because that's one of my favorite movies. I can't wait to see. For those of you listening, Deep Red is beyond a masterpiece. Right? It's perfect. All right. Well, we're obviously big converts to Jiao. Let's move on to our next film. Take two. Our second film is Suspiria from 2016. Established Italian director Lucia Gaudino, well known for his luscious visuals and stories that relate to interpersonal relationships and carnal passions, had made a huge international splash with his Oscar-winning coming-of-age romance, Call Me By Your Name. I don't know if romance is correct. That's drama. Oh, yes. Yep. One of the most beautiful movies. Uh, the same year, he went into production on a reinterpretation of Italy's most loved horror film of the giallo period, Argento's Suspiria. Like the original film, this one is set in Germany in 1977 and follows an inspiring American ballerina who begins her studies at a strongly matriarchal dance academy obsessed with the art of ballet. Students begin to go missing and it is soon revealed that the academy is run by a coven of witches. Unlike Argento's original film, this Suspiria introduces an element of intergenerational guilt surrounding the Holocaust and the theme of abuse of power. It stars Dakota Johnson, Chloe Grace Moretz, Mia Goth and Tilda Swinton in three different roles, including the elderly Dr. Joseph Klemperera. To give you an idea of the film's artistic pedigree, it had as a soundtrack by Radiohead's Tom York. The film premiered at the Venice Film Festival and had a limited release worldwide. It polarised film critics and audiences alike, and in the director's own words, was a disaster at the box office. Herschel, I know uh, you seem to know a lot about the Eastern Bloc and the Cold War <laughs> when we covered the lives of others versus the conversation, so I'm hoping you can bring some of that context into the film Suspiria. What have you got for us? Okay, look, I think some of it will definitely touch on that. Um, but I don't want to start there. Where I want to start is I saw this... I've seen Suspiria, the original, a couple of times, mm -hmm. but probably a year ago. Uh, I just want to say to our, our viewers, I know this might be a little frustrating to not do Suspiria versus Suspiria, but we didn't want to do a remake versus a yeah, remake. Yeah, because that's not what like, our podcast represents. Yeah, we want to see what's in similar in Argento's other work uh, yeah. to this film. So and also, the on. other thing I'd say is this um, this remake, the 2018 remake, is incredibly ambitious. Mm. It's something to be reckoned It's not with. really a remake, to be honest. It, it's, it's a total reimagining. It's as much as a remake as opera is of the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, absolutely. You know? It's a complete creative experiment. You know, One of the complexities of this film, I think, is that it's working on so many levels. The big question is, can you tie the whole yeah. thing together? Now, that's where this movie... And also, like, can I, I, I think that's... that's the million-dollar question, can you tie it all together? The other thing, I want, uh, yes, it's working on many levels. Can we even discern the message of this movie, like what no. it's even about? <laughs> okay. So that's, nah. Because that was a big debate I at could, the time. I, uh, sorry, I've seen it three times now. Yeah. Or I'm halfway through my third time. Now I'm starting to like it, but the first two I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. But get this, 
15-year-old girl that I live with. Like, oh, you uh, told me about this, yeah. She loves, she loves this movie. Yeah. She says it's one but of her favorite. you said it's because of her connection to dance. She loves right? ballet. She loves dance. She yes. Thinks, but um, I asked a ballerina who danced for Opera Australia just today. I was at the cafe and she's a friend and I said, have you seen Suspiria? Yeah. And she goes, what's it about? And I go, well, there's a girls and they're dancing and it's got body horror. And she goes, I could never watch that. Wow. Because she couldn't watch Black Swan because uh, okay. she, she would feel too actually, visceral. Black Swan that's very interesting. That, that didn't occur breaking. to me, but that's actually an yeah. interesting reference yeah, yeah. there. All right. So I just want to continue with that. So it's so many different things, and can you tie it all together? I don't think you can, but that's my next question, though. Should you be mm. able to tie it all together? Now, this goes back to what you were talking about, about with opera. Why, why is it necessary to tie this all together like a simple package? Yeah. So <laughs> I, want to start, I want to start with the mystery itself. This movie is, for me, at once an incredible horror movie. So it's visceral and it's physical. At times, it's actually difficult to watch. Mm. So for our listeners out there, if, if, you, you know, if, if that does sort of, if it's a little bit too provocative for you, that kind of thing, this is about as intense as it gets. Yeah. I think some of these scenes. It should really be R-rated. I'm amazed they got it with an MA. Is it MA? Yeah, it's MA. That's M- ridiculous. Yeah. People's um, heads blow up. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to I wanna start with two of those characteristics. The first is the detective story and then the second part, I want to move into the horror side of things. Now, on the detective front, I don't know if either of you thought of these references, but what immediately occurred to me were two movies. Okay. One was Rosemary's Baby. Oh, stop for a sec. What's the detective stuff? Wait, I'm going to, yeah. the, the, the old professor? Yeah. He's uh, the detective trying I was to work reading, it out? Yeah, okay. absolutely. All right, so all right. Tilda Swinton plays the Dr. Klemperer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> now, it, for some, but would, do, have you read about this? How she denied that she did yeah. for months. Well, it was a and, big and mystery. It's a secret, years. right? But it looks like, come on. And, and there was no, a, I didn't know it was her the I first time I watched it. Oh, no, the first time Kathy I did. And I didn't oh, know it was her. And there was, a, there was a pseudonym in the credits. I know. There yeah. was actually... A, I actually that, love that stuff that like that. Tilda Swinton I, filled out the IMDb biography of that. I love Tilda Swinton to death. Yeah, she's unbelievable. She's one of the great actresses in the world. They went that far is, I love that. But now, I read a few reviews in prepping for this that say, well, the Klimper character is sort of like a, a sideline character. That's why I completely disagree with that. Oh, I, I think, I think the main Klimper character. is essential to yeah. the entire movie. No, no, I actually think it's the main character in the movie. I think so, it frames the story. Exactly. Too, so right? I want to say Rosemary's Baby because what is that? That's a horror movie, but it's set inside of a mystery where the audience discovers. The, the, the story of the narrative as we go along. And that's, for me, almost the most interesting part. In See, can I add, there. I agree with you. I actually, and I mean this literally, I think he's the central protagonist, the main character. I think that's the movie's weakness. So you don't like the what detective side about? of things? I think it makes, I, I think it so diminishes the final act of the movie. But because the whole movie becomes his viewpoint, his character arc. He's coming to terms with the guilt of being a Nazi. But I think that's also the reference to political. Not being a Nazi, but not being a Nazi. Having been the, or, or his life having, having been destroyed having not by prevented his Good, wife from being uh, killed yeah. by the Before Nazis. Before we get on to the second reference that I want to talk about, right. a film that I'm seeing in this a lot, did either of you watch past the credits? No, I didn't. Yes. Because I saw did your you? message. Yeah. I, I so there's, there's a little... It's, there's no, a, what happens there? I didn't know. So Susie, now mm. reborn... Um, looks and kind of has a very kind of, I don't know, intimate, caring, nurturing look on her face and then stares back and that's the end of the movie. But who, who, who she's... St- we don't know. We don't know who she's looking at. We don't know what's okay. going on. It's, it's very, very mysterious, as is the entire movie. Yeah, yeah. Now, the other movie, did anyone feel that there was any of Angel Heart in this movie? I was seeing, <laughs> I was seeing Angel Heart oh, wow. in terms yeah. of 
the supernatural, the, the darkness, def- like the 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 like the sense of the, the witchcraft, and but inside of a detective, but also the intense blood, right? So the whole yeah. Lisa Bonnet bloodletting scene. So that's the first thing I want to say. I think. It's a hell of a detective story. Now, the original Suspiria wasn't interested in being really a detective story no. or a follow the mystery to the end kind of clue situation. It's very ho- just a horror movie. It's absolutely, yeah. but also the, the 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 contrast between the color, the, the hyperbole, and, mm. and, and yeah. of like the original the, uh, the saturation versus of the, the melancholy, agenda. really, of, of this film. Like that's very stark, right? So Guadagnino immediately draws a line in the sand. Here. Yeah, um, and obviously Tom York versus the Goblin. That's yeah. that's obviously <laughs> different. Yeah. Now, um, then the other thing I want to say is the, the representation of art as the control of life force. Mm. I think that's incredibly powerful. But also social art as violence. Art as violence. That but love and violence. Well, art depending nice. on how yeah. you want to apply it. I mean, art, uh, that dance scene, I don't know if that's going to be your mise-en-scene. That is. Okay, I won't, I no, mean, I don't know which dance scene you're talking, I'm talking about. about. So where, there are four performances. Where she does her first, where she goes, I'll dance. And she breaks Olga. And, she okay, bra- yeah, and, yeah. and then Olga's like... So of oh course I'm God, doing the Olga. Of course I'm okay. doing yeah, the Olga. Yeah, that's the most beautiful But thing. have you, have you guys art. seen any French New Wave horror where it's all about like martyrs and the body and, and destroying... What, like name some movies. Um, mart- martyrs? Martyr? Um, I mean, I must. I've watched heaps of French New I'm Wave stuff. I'm trying to think about like, it. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the, the New Wave of French horror from the 20, oh. 2000s onwards. No, I don't think I have. You know, like there's the one where they're, they're, they're killing a girl and, and it's like an art form and, yeah. and it's about but the that experience idea of, of pain and I mean, stuff. There's, a, there's a very famous book called The Theatre of Cruelty yeah. by uh, Artaud. Artaud. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And so the idea that, I mean, it's, it's more controversial now, but that art and violence and cruelty and depravity intersect. Mm. And that art is both beautiful and like profane and and disgusting and you know definitely Argento gets that and Guadagnino really gets yeah. it. I guess I also want to say that this movie works really well as part detective story. It works even better as a horror, as as a pure horror movie in terms of the visceral nature of what mm. happens. And I'm gonna do this in the mise en scene. I don't think I've seen genuine horror portrayed like this in, in a really long time. Yeah. It's just grappling. It's so perverse with, the horror. Uh, it's, what about the you know when the police are put in their trance and they're all standing oh, around them that's and, they're, and, and they're naked. And they're naked and the cops and... Mm. And, and they're done? using that, that horrible sky kind of yeah. thing and they're tapping his penis like that. <laughs> I mean, it's just so... And they're yeah. laughing. I mean, you... It's, I mean, that's got a bit of Rosemary's Baby, right? That completely yeah. off-kilter, you're deranged. I don't know what's driving you here. You're just... Sadistic, you know. But it's also been set up. It's been set up that way because the Olga scene that I'm going to do from a mise en scene that sets the benchmark for what you can expect from the remainder of this movie. Because once you've gone through the Olga scene, you can pretty much watch anything because that is yeah. about as bad as it gets. Um, it's what your connection to Ari Aster is a good one because I think Ari Aster's got a bit of this in him, where he's not trying to explain the rationality of horror. He's trying to demonstrate what happens when horror becomes irrational. Yeah, and and that's what can really scare you. Now, I'm not going to be able to provide answers because I don't think I don't think there's a continuity or a narrative direction where you can actually answer exactly what's happening in this movie. So we can just put forward some ideas. Um, Craig, you you mentioned right up front about the political um, aspects of this. So at this time, this film is set in West Berlin, so right at the wall. So that's obviously done intentionally. I read some reviews of people going, "Wow, it's so unsubtle, it's ridiculous." <laughs> I think they missed the mm. point. I think that that misses the point completely. 
1977, in 1977, um, you had the uprising of the Badamainov, which was a terrorist organization. <laughs> and what they were doing was they were making a claim that society hadn't changed in any way whatsoever. And in fact, what it was doing was replicating the injustices mm. and the violence and the terror of the past. And it was using its own terrorist acts to try to force an overthrow. Now, ultimately, that failed. And what we watch in the film is, you know, I guess a dramatization of the failing of that because we see that the that the, the, the hostage situation is resolved during the film. So how does that play against the change or the transition from either um, Madame Blanc or Mother Marcus? Because is that the change that is, 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 I guess, paralleled in the political change that's currently happening mm. in the country. Well, I think that's the intention. I mean, I have to say, I have some sympathy for the view that it plays heavy-handed to me, the historical intersection of the witch story and the German guilt. Because the other thing I do want to say as well is, this is not original to, you know, Guaranino. That This tradition of German... People trying to come to terms with German guilt from the Holocaust is its own wave of what's called the new German cinema. So there are so many little in-house references to people like Fassbinder or um, Wim Wenders cinema of the 80s or um, Werner Herzog. Like There's a whole wave of this stuff happening. I read that he was... Inspired by Fassbender. Oh, completely. Well, it's a total. Women. It's it's such a Fassbender movie, right? Yeah. And I, now again, I love when first time I started watching it. When I saw the whole bottom mine off the graffiti, I thought, oh, this is so interesting. This bringing of the Argento into the German historical context. But in the end of the movie, I was kind of conflicted by, okay, are you trying to tell me you're trying? This is a historical allegory? Are you trying to tell me this is just a great horror film? And I found that really difficult to resolve. It's the only thing that doesn't work perfectly for me, but to some extent it's necessary because you can't really take this out of the context of late 1970s Cold War Berlin, East and West, Mm. and that that modification leading to, obviously, the, the unification eventually in 1989 or thereabouts. So you can't really take that setting away and have what you've got in this movie. I think the setting is necessary. The bleak nature of it, Tom York's music, um, the fact that they're all, you know, smoking cigarettes. Um, yeah. as they were. I, I think it's such a wonderful presentation of everything that I can forgive some sort of movement toward a political Type of, yeah, you know, but did you feel like something. the guy longing for his wife, the the illusion that the witches give him, the visit to his bedside at the end? Didn't you feel that was all a bit like anticlimactic? I like, wow, we just had this up outpouring of more blood than I've ever seen in a movie in my life, <laughs> and then we get a a kind of closet visit to the bed to absolve no, him of his... I, I don't know. See, I don't view it like I that. I also felt like I didn't know what was going on. I'll be honest. I don't know what the <laughs> I, hell was I, happening. I, I have to be honest. I, I still don't have a, a, a strong sense of that final scene. Who was reborn? Who are these... The three mothers... No, but I think she's about, supposed but, to be incarnated as the yes. the, the mother Suspiria, right? I don't think it's I don't um, think it's that simple to, to actually find genuine meaning in what happens... But she that definitely gives him closure... Scene. On what happened to his wife, she comes and says, "Yeah, your your wife was thinking of you." Da da da. So my question is, <laughs> I, what are you trying to establish in the giving you of solace yes. on your deathbed? But, but, but then What's he also on? has a spasm, and then does he live? Like I'm not sure. No, what he's the fine. Hell happened he's then. fine. He's just, I think he's okay. Yeah, she took the memory. She took it away. Yeah, 
Yes, I'm not sure what I think the it's point okay. I think he's, I think he's, you know, he's kicking it at the end. No, well, no, I thought that kicking he, the bucket. He's, he's fine. No, he's I saying, mean, he's yeah. kicking it. He's doing good. I thought she would say, this Look, is all the information I, you need. Now you can die. can die. But instead he like lives again. I'm like, what the I, hell's happening? I, I have to say that I, the reason I like the ending, because for me, it's, an, it's a tremendously human contrast with what we've just viewed. I mean, yeah. it just slaps you in the face with so much death and destruction yep. and, and mm. blood and gore that you had this very tender human moment at the end, and I kind of liked it. Yeah. I got to ask wait, you wait. guys, I know you're doing mm. mise-en-scene with the dance, so I have to ask you, what did you make of the finale, the, the bloodbath? I had to look it up because it, it, <laughs> it, the bloodbath doesn't come from progressive... It, 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 I, I then realised that after reading the Wikipedia to understand yeah. the plot, that... Three girls die in it that had been captured that were released. There's a whole, and that yeah. the, the now the lead dancer allows them to die, or they ask for to, for death. And I'm like, I what? Read, look, I read yeah. that as that, well. It just I, looked like the, a maniac. I mean, I didn't a give it. All I was just entranced by was how much blood there was. <laughs> I felt slighted constantly. I felt like I was being told, "You don't get this, do you?" And I'm like, yeah. "Well, no, you're not telling me anything." Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, but, "You don't get see, it, I, do you?" I, I, I let I that felt go like I was in an argument, but I let that go because I wasn't interested in understanding exactly what the plot was. I was interested mm. in just, to some extent, a little bit like the jealous. I was interested in just enjoying yeah. what I was seeing. But and the, I enjoyed almost everything of this. You know what's wonderful about this discussion is when you watch a giallo, its nuttiness and its excesses and its unhingedness codes you to not give a stuff where that makes sense. <laughs> but you look at the formal precision of a Guaranina movie and it's like, it better make sense. At yeah, the but end. see, that's where I'm, mm. I'm willing to not expect that from it. Yeah. So it, it's very divisive, like you said in your mm-hmm. intro, Craig. Um, you have some people that say it's a, it's a horror masterpiece. It's one mm. of the best horror films in a decade. You have some people who say, wow, what a bore, because it makes absolutely <laughs> no sense and it's ridiculous. It's not boring, though. Like, I didn't give a stuff if it doesn't make sense, but it is one of the most gorgeous films to look at. It looks good, but I just feel frustrated, that's all. Like, I, but I, can I say, the first Fulci uh, House by the Cemetery was the first yep. Diallo I ever saw before any of Argento's. And I also didn't know what was happening yeah. throughout. But I didn't mind so much because I thought, thought this is so... Uh, yeah, but that's the difference, The term might right? be different. It's Low, coding you. It's right? saying yeah. you don't need to no. worry. Here's some maggots on some face. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then I'm going, okay, sure. And then here's the next thing. Or, and here's some mud in a zombie. Or it's like in opera. This bird yeah. is our eyewitness. And, and here's the guy who's composing for you, muttering and saying the word, basically what you're seeing. And I'm like, okay, so yeah, you don't really care. It's not no, pretentious. You don't, you don't Whereas care. this one, Tom York's singing to me. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this must mean well, something. Well, it's, it's, it's completely, hi- it's, it's higher art it's higher in art. every way versus but I, I exploitation. The last thing I want to say before we head on to is, is there anything Tilda Swinton cannot do? Oh, How good is God. Tilda Swinton in this movie? I mean, she's if you, amazing. You're watching other things like Snowpiercer and all that <laughs> sort of thing. She's always fantastic, right? She's always wonderful. But in this movie, I was first fixated by everything she was doing as the dancing But also the way she looks. She's so statuesque. But, but it's, like, yeah, it's, it's the way yeah. she looks. But yeah, it's the way she moves. It's the way her limbs move. Everything is so beautiful about her. But then... She also brings something to the dialogue and to the yeah. character that is beyond everything. You know, there's that one scene where she, she, she describes what she wants, and she does a quick kind of clap like she's going, yeah. "Okay, now let's go." And I'm just thinking, "Yes, yeah. I'm in." But I also like those long dresses. They oh, just yeah. run on a bony frame. Yeah, she's great. She's beautiful. I t- I, one thing that did take me out. I guess I'm 
used to seeing latex and makeup and that old man, I could tell the face wasn't working yeah. right. Yeah, I knew the face was so wrong, was but I didn't know it was that. Tilda Swinton. Yeah. I didn't know it was Tilda Swinton, but I kind of guessed after a while. I thought it was going to be a like, young man that they were going to then show us. Because well, I knew he had it. makeup on. I didn't yeah. know Tilda Swinton. I just, but, but why? It, that took me out of it. it made yeah. me, like it, did, it was disconcerting and then I didn't follow that story properly yeah. for the whole time. But if, if we were to talk about Midsummer or something like that, like mm. there are aspects of that where I think, wow, this is just remarkable, right? But then there are parts where I think, you know, I don't know if that quite achieves that. Mm. I don't think you can take a movie like the 2018 Suspiria and expect a completely cohesive design and, and narrative mm. structure. I'm glad you're on this. Like, I'm glad this is your film to talk about because I think you like it the most out of us all. I do moment. love it. Look, yeah. I love this I mean, I, You guys know I adore Call Me By Your Name. Mm-hmm. I love I Am Love. Uh, I love A Bigger Splash. So much of Guadagnino is amazing. I think he's one of the very important filmmakers. This one for me, like, was the attempt to hit the home run. And I just, I'm saying it's a very good film. I just don't know if it got to the, you know, out of the park. He's owned the rights to this for 20 years, I read. He's been trying to get this thing off the ground for that long. So it's a labor of love. He put so much effort into this work. And you can see that in yeah. the way the, the dance companies created. In, in, yeah. he, yeah. hired, he hired one of the leading dance choreographers yeah. in the world. Well, the dancing is just oh my God. awesome, right? It's, it's like you've paid. What about the final performance yeah. with the, the, the great the geometric lines on the oh, floor? The vault. Yeah, oh, my yeah. God. That you was amazing. You couldn't pay 120 bucks to go to the opera house to watch a dance mm. performance yeah. and get more enjoyment than out of watching this. I it makes you want to go watch some dance. Oh, wow. It's, yeah. You know, that's what I felt watching that movie. All right. Well, let's move on. Mise en scène. Now it's time for our mise en scène where we zoom in on one scene or sequence from the film. Up first, it is Bruce. What have you chosen for us from opera? I am choosing uh, the first time a heroine is kidnapped and made to watch the death scene, which has become actually a a bit of a calling card for Daria Argento. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really important to realize that all of Giallo is about the power of looking at something, Mm -hmm. right? And looking is both voyeuristic, so I can look at something in secret and I can be empowered by that. But it can also be something that's really sadistic, but then it can be masochistic, which is I can look at something and it hurts me or it brings me trauma. And Argento and, in fact, all of the Jello, they're always circulating around those ways of looking. Is it voyeuristic? Is it sadistic? Is it masochistic? And so on. Argento, apparently, this came from a joke because <laughs> he was making uh, Macbeth. He was trying to do the Verdi mm-hmm. opera and it was a disaster. And I think the joke was something like, he wished he could force people to watch it. Yeah, I read about right? this. Right. Okay. Yeah. He wanted to he wanted to introduce a device <laughs> which you would have to use yes. when attending. So that you had to watch. So your eyes had so to kept open. Instead of 3D glasses, it's um eye open glasses. It's, 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 it spikes yeah. into the eyelid. So the the great now, again, this is not original to Argento. People who know Kubrick will know Stanley Kubrick's Amazing Clockwork Orange. Orange. Now, when um, he has to watch the films to be uh, conditioned, they keep his eyes open with these contraptions. And it's this long idea that watching things uh, will do things to you. Mm -hmm. So if I can force you to watch violence, you might become violent, right? If I can force you to look at things in a particular way, that puts you in that position. Now, Hitchcock was like a master of this. So the scene that's replayed over and over in opera in fact, it's kind of re, 
done in various ways, looking through a keyhole, looking through like an oh, overhead shot. Speaking of keyhole. keyhole that, that's, the, now, I was going to do That's one of my favorite wow. scenes in Argento. Craig, I'll do this really quickly. Yeah. I'm throwing over you for the keyhole because right, right, I love right, that right. so much, right? But anyway, the idea, it's really important to understand that when, you, when you're watching a giallo, it's not like watching a regular horror movie. You're going to get heaps of point of view shots, heaps of subjective shots. The whole movie is going to be about how do people look at things and what kind of violence does that looking do? So Argento comes up with this device. What if we make the central character be forced to watch ultraviolence, like mm-hmm. Alex in a Clockwork Orange? And so he's got this contraption of there's a sequence, he kidnaps her, and you get so many shots, first from a point of view, then reverse shot of the killer. And it's if you watch it closely, it's never wide shots. Argento shoots um, in a fetishistic way, and by that I mean he shoots close on everything. Everything's an object. So he'll shoot on a hand. Like, you know guys know these leather gloves? Mm. Or he'll shoot tight on a knife. Even to um, his detriment. Can I just say to the yeah. detriment? Because I was watching that, and the second time she has the, the needles put yeah. on her eyes, I was like, oh, why isn't he doing a shot? Because there's so much point of view and yes. so much perspective stuff in this. Yep. I was like, why aren't we seeing the needles in the foreground yep. through her point of view? Yes. And then I realized we were at some point, because he is on such a long lens for that yep. sh- type of um, being in close to what you're looking at, it means that we can't get, we a, can't get a good sense of yep. that foreground shot because it was so blurry. Because then I looked and I went, oh, they are there, but it's on such a lens that yep. uh, he wants you to so be in tight. he could have shot that like, tighter, right? Like he he could have well, yeah. Oh, yeah, got in, walked in closer, yeah. made a wider lens so you can really see That's those really needles. But he's so committed to what he wants with that close-up and putting you in there in the frame. that he so lost those needles. Cr- That's a fantastic point. Mm. Argento is not interested in showing you violence. He wants you to be situated in the space of watching the violence. Mm. And that's what Hitchcock did with Psycho, for example, um, when he looks through the keyhole and then the killing takes place and now we are in very tight shots. So Hitchcock's not just, I want you to see the event. He wants to place you in a position where you are feeling like I'm seeing the violence take place. Argento makes it more explicit in this movie than probably any giallo that I've ever seen, which is he tapes needles uh, to the (laughs) under... The, the, the bottom lids of the heroine's eyes so she can't close her eyes and she's forced to watch the violence and we get a whole bunch of tight shots of the needles, reverse shots as you say, Craig, and what it is is we are now watching it's through eyes so that are always threatened by having needles poke yeah. us. And it's no different to Clockwork Orange. Confronting. Like I'm, these images are doing damage to my um, my inner mind. And it's very And it's brilliant, right? It's so yeah. genius. Yeah. Is when, because it gives you the close-up of those needles, I mean, I think our in, immediate reaction is that just looks horribly painful and uncomfortable. And mm. you can't help but feel, like, of I don't course. know if you saw, but it felt uncomfortable yeah. like around you your eye. And you see blood that yeah, exactly. every time it yeah, cut yeah, away yeah, and then yeah. it cut back. The only thing I thought he could have done, and I'm surprised he didn't, he never once showed her top lid being punctured by mm. a needle. And I was interested in why he didn't do that. Because that would not have been hard to do. You just build a, a replica of some kind, like a basic easy makeup job, puncture the lid with some blood. I thought that would be incredibly effective, right? But they don't do it. I don't know why. They just never do it. But that's a sequence where that idea of looking and seeing violence but feeling pain through the act of viewing the violence is going to be over and overplayed. So it's deep red with a subjective point of view shot of the killing. It's John Carpenter doing Halloween and the point of view shot of killing the whole family and the babysitter and so on. Mm. You're going to see it over and over that what you see 
does paint you. It's Jeffrey in blue velvet in the the cupboard watching Frank, and it's a horrible sexual act. Jeffrey can't move because if he's moving, he'd be killed. Mm. And Daria Jenner just makes that literal. You can't move. You must watch. Actually, can I just ask that question? Um, how do you both see Halloween and the Giallo movies? Yeah, very... Like, well, like, the opening to Halloween, which is a, a point of view shot for like... It's like a five-minute scene, mm. is absolutely appropriating the opening to Deep Red. And the, the music... And John Carpenter did the music to Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, John Carpenter's music there, it has a hell of a lot in common. With Goblin. With, with Goblin. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I hadn't, actually, I hadn't thought of that until you just referenced Halloween before. I just wanted to shout out the key, the, the, that key uh, peephole scene. Oh, two sorry. of the people. I love oh. that scene so much. And, and I'd seen that. And one of my favorite, Daria Nicolodi. I love her. One of the first ones I'd ever seen of Giallo, and it would have been 25 years ago. And then I've always tried to remember what it was yeah. that I'd seen that, where someone looks through a peephole and then something comes through the people. Yeah. And then I always used to think it was um, a zombie, the unofficial Italian zombie film. The, the uh, Fulci one. The, yeah, the Fulci yeah, yeah, one. Yeah. With the, I think it's a splinter, like a giant shard of yeah, wood that goes I, through yep, an eye when yep, someone's through an eye. poking through. But in this one, it's the, it's, it's the bullet the hole. Bullet and it's shot so gloriously. It's shot like... It's unbelievable. Were you impressed again watching that? Yeah. Like, you know what? You put your yeah. eye up to the thing and you see the gun and I'm sort of thinking, oh, I knew the scene. But when they do it, you get a little spark, a bit of an explosion. They've obviously built a contraption where we see the movement of the bullet. Yeah. Then cut to this amazing um, penetration of the head and out the back yeah. with the blood. That's How so did good. they do it so well? I, mean, I looked I it up no on YouTube. They, they obviously put a hell of a lot of time into that scene because they knew that, look, this is a showstopper. Yeah. So, And apparently, Daria Nicolodi, who was... Uh, Argento's partner for 12 years. They're, in fact, the parents of Asia Argento, wow. you know, who's had a yeah. career. So um, she didn't want to make the film at all because they had only broken up the year before. And the only reason she did it is because of that elaborate death. Wow. She wanted to be the person oh, who was really? killed that way. Yeah. That's cool. All right, let's move on to our next mise en scene. Mise en scène. Herschel, what have you got for us from Suspiria? So one of the things we've already talked about today is that the remake of the original Suspiria through Guadagnino's vision is far more organized. And I'm not going to use the word clinical because I don't think it's a clinical work at all, but it is organized. And it's complex. It's layered. It has lots of different themes. For example, the film is set in a series of, of acts, as you might read a play. Equally, there are four spells that are cast throughout this film. Each of the spells is cast through a dance performance. Now, I'm going to be talking about spell number two. Spell number two is really for me, and that's why I choose it for the maison scene, is because for me it introduces the audience to, I guess, I don't know, you can probably say it in a better way, but to the level of horror that they're going to encounter in this film, which obviously culminates in that incredible finale. Mm. Olga was, we find out, one of the central dancers in this company, perhaps the lead dancer in this company. Now, Olga is clearly onto something or has suspicions about what is going on mm at the dance company, and she rebels and says that she's no longer doing this, and she rushes out in quite a heated confrontation. Mm. But she also accuses them of being witches. Of being witches. She leaves and runs out of the studio, and then she gets lost. And I actually love that scene. She ends up in a practice studio, a small practice room off to the side, but she doesn't really know how she gets there, and she can't get out of the studio again. At the same time, the new American student, who Tilda Swinton has seen something special in, volunteers to take Olga's position and to dance um, 
the preparation for what will become the Volk mm. or translated to be the people. Their main dance that will capture what the dance company performs later on in the film. Now Susie has the floor with the dancers around her and she begins to dance. What we find out, what the audience finds out in, qu in quite a shocking revelation is that when Susie is dancing, a spell has been cast that her movements somehow translate to movements for Olga who is locked away in this other room that she cannot escape. But instead of it being a, a mirror of the movements, as, as Susie rotates her arms, for example, it rotates Olga's torso so that her body ends up being broken into multiple pieces. Mm. At one point in one of the most shocking you know, shots, you see Olga being pulled into a, a straight position, but her head is facing the opposite direction from her torso. Her arms are folded back behind her. And I don't know if you found this as creepy as I found it, as horrific as I found it, but you know the bruising that comes out yeah, of her yeah. hip? Like she's been so bruised that she's she's bleeding, like the blood is being soaked underneath mm. her skin. Mm. It's that bad. As Susie triumphantly becomes the replacement for Olga, demonstrating that she will take over as the lead of the dance company, she doesn't know at this stage that in that act, she's in fact destroying Olga and the one person that is holding the dance company back. So it's a replacement in part, but it's equally a replacement in terms of the future and the change of the mm. dance company. But it plays out in the most horrific sequence that you could imagine. But it's also beautiful as well, it, right? So this is the thing about that theater of cruelty we were talking about before. There's the beauty that we get, and then it's mirrored with the grotesque. But I never see them as separate things. It's one performance. And, and, and the interesting thing is the, is, the, is the cut between the beauty of Susie dancing and supported by the other dancers in, yeah. that, in that complex choreography. But then that really hard cut to this to this lady getting torn apart. Yeah. Um, it's really but awful. the cut's also rhythmic, right? So, um, she her body movements in the downstairs where she's lost are part of the dance yes. routine. They're part of the choreography. So the genius of the scene is her violent acts uh, and the violence done to her body is part of the choreography of the Volk. and and that's I think like what's played across that sequence is so genius. And so for the audience. Think of references to you know the very the physicality of the Exorcist when you first get yes, introduced to that sure. kind of mm -hmm. to that kind of horror to Linda Blair's body changing yeah um, that you know the first time you see those scenes in the Exorcist uh, most people I think sit back and say you got to be kidding me this is just absolutely awful to, to mm. observe it's difficult to watch I had the same feelings in watching uh, Spell Two being cast in this film I think it's one of the most disturbing mm. but provocative horror scenes. I've ever seen in a movie. So just that for me is worth the price of admission mm. alone just to watch that oh, scene. Yeah. I, just, it's uh, just I made a t-shirt for the, the kid I live with, Poppy, <laughs> um, for her birthday yeah. of that scene. And I wrote Suspiria on Wait, it. What, uh, like it's, what, it's a what picture, image is it's it? It's an Olga. It's like the shot on the floor of Olga way down on the floor with her. And so it's just Olga with the, in the dance studio all oh. broken yeah, up. Yeah, but is she all broken up? Yeah, all oh broken my up. Gosh. And I, I designed a second one that... Um, her dad said, nah, she won't get that. Where it was like an old dance card. You know how you would see the feet and then the dotted lines as to where the feet go next? Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I had was Olga's body parts moving in different spots oh and like three God. different cool. spots to show how it was being Sounds contorted. Amazing. I'd like to see those, uh, I'll, I'll do. I'll, say, I'll make yes. you a T-shirt of that. And Where's my Murder Sharon T-shirt from the last bloody on. episode? <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's your favorite Suspiria guys out of the two? Like oh, the original. Versus, yeah, me yeah. too. Okay, i got to watch the original again. I, when I first saw it, this is quite a while back now, 
I fell in love with the look of the original. Mm-hmm. But I do love, and you guys know this from the lives of others, I do love a good Cold War East-West Germany setting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Spy yeah. came from the cold, the lives of others. When movies get it right, it's so oppressive in terms of being symbolic of the human spirit mm. that I, look, I, I do like watching that period piece. Um, so I need to watch it again. But I'm. I know you both are going to go for probably. Um, I once had some this. people come over to watch Suspiria, the Argento, right? Yeah. And we had to turn it off after about twenty minutes because they thought I was insane. No, but that's why we have to say <laughs> we have to say that I'm these serious. films can trigger people. Well, I, I mean, people no, might it, not it, be it wasn't just that it was violence. I, I, I gathered from a sort of slight unrest in the audience that people were going. What is what yeah, is this? Yeah. What is, you would what's, be, what's Bruce like doing? Because it looks bad. Why is Bruce it putting this trashy. on? You know what else it reminds me of is Hausu, the Japanese horror film. I don't know if you've seen that. Cool. I just assume if you don't like Giallo, you're probably yeah. not listening to this episode. It's probably going to be... Thank you for no, listening. No, but give it a go. You know, no, but no, it, yeah, I'll I'll we can't go. say that to an hour and a half. But in. also, Craig, I, think, I will thank say Thank you this, for listening though. if you love Giallo. Definitely you know? thank you for listening. Check it out. The Giallo wouldn't exist if not for people like Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. But not just Hitchcock. If you want to watch like one of my favorite movies, like Diabolique by mm. Clouseau, that's um, that is just amazing. Brilliant. So it's a kind of genre movie that's about form and style. And all I'm saying is, if you don't want to give the Jello look, go check out Hitchcock. Go watch Psycho, because without Psycho, there's no Jello. Mm. Or go watch right? Le Diabolique if you can find yeah, it. Le Diabolique is just first amazing. time I saw that was. I, the, yeah. the effect that Adam completely unexpected. Yeah. I just can't believe how great that movie is. Well, also um, check out Red Christmas. My oh, horror check movie. out Red Christmas. Um, um, and also shout out to Gary Doust, uh, who made the documentary called <laughs> Horror Movie: A Low Budget Nightmare. Okay, is what yeah, it's called. Okay. Um, ABC iView might still have it, but okay. you can get it in anywhere on iTunes or Google Play. You can look at that. But it's a two-hour documentary. You'll see Bruce. You'll see the baby. Oh in that. no way! There in the I've documentary. Never I'm going to watch it on oh, iView tonight. Yeah, yeah. You should watch okay, it. Out, I've um, never seen. It. I know you mentioned Play. it to me, but I've, I, I've oh, never it's an excellent documentary okay. because it follows like it's it's very heartfelt uh, and oh, I'd say great. that being the um, subject of it yeah but it does follow exactly what I did and it shows you how hard it is to make a movie and oh, what you, you need uh, look to do. I have such admiration but it's also very funny because yeah. you know all my friends are funny and there's a lot of comedians yes. um, a very like, a lot of guy, very nice people the guy who won Edinburgh um, comedy festival, the biggest comedy prize in the world. He plays the villain, so <laughs> he's in it. Is that like right? A, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Is he a the lot guy of that had the big the gear cloak? On? The yeah, cloak. the cloak. Yeah, Sam Campbell. Greg, I do want to. He was carrying Byron at one point, so I had to explain to him how to hold a baby and stuff. It was there was so this, uh, there's cute. a funny. I don't even think Gary included in the documentary, but. We weren't allowed to mention E.T. to D because she was so over having to talk about E.T. Oh, you kidding. Yeah, yeah. And then there was just this big moment where he and her were facing off and he nearly said it. Oh. Like nearly, I should have gone up to go, I loved you in E.T. <laughs> my dad said it constantly. And my dad's a big character. I want to shout out to your dad as well because yeah. <laughs> when he turns up in Red Christmas, he... Oh, wait, isn't your dad the sheriff? He plays the sheriff. He's the dude he, that loses his head. He, he gets a bed trap across his head and it... Blows it that's my favorite scene in the because that's a great physical effect, actually. Yeah, it was a very I thought weird. that was done really well. But I love Giallo, so the whole thing is um, it's Christmas lights and it's set on Christmas yeah. night, and it's about uh, an aborted fetus that returns 20 years later to see its family, and yeah. um, it, it obviously turns into so it's a, a great set a bad pieces. murder. But then there's um, every room is a different color, and that was like a very Giallo thing, yeah. like finding each room being a different bauble on the Christmas tree. You know what I noticed that in recently, Eyes Wide Shut where there's ah. a Christmas tree in every single room that, that they right? go in. Where the, and, and even exteriors have some Christmas lights. And so you get these weird spectral uh, lighting everywhere. In the- All right. 
Uh, we're putting this out just in time for, if you live in Sydney, the Randrick Ritz, get on their website, look at the Jala They're Festival. showing every Argento. I've never seen a retrospective of Argento. It's this very comprehensive. completist. It's, it's, it's very good. A, a couple that I'm excited about is the original Suspiria, which yep. is on the 28th of September in 2023, and we're recording this. Tenebrae, which yeah. features my favourite shot in all of cinema. Which one's that? The one that goes over the house and around oh, the other side. We watched it, remember? Is that the one I sent you? You, you were talking yeah. about it. Yeah. This classic the, shot. The yeah. grippage, like the, the, the crane. Well, there's a lot of writing about how they got that shot. It's, it's a tough it shot. It blows my mind. I and think De Palma does a version of that not as good in The Untouchables. Nah, no way it's good. Yeah. Um, that's on the 12th of October. On the 23rd of November, Argento's much more direct ripoff of The Phantom of the Opera <laughs> called Il Fantasmo dell'Opera. Okay. Uh, that is on, and then it goes all the way up until Christmas. So it's a, it's a long it's, retrospective. It's I'm going to catch fun, up with the right? I'm going to try and, and catch anyone up. Anyone who's listening, we will be there on opening night. I'm introducing the festival. Mm-hmm. So the 23rd at 6:30, they've got welcome drinks. So in the Ritz, come and join us for drinks. Then. Come and join us for drinks in the foyer of the Ritz, and come and say hello. Well, that's it for our mid-season podcast, the first two being about the big blockbuster releases of 2023, and you can listen to them now on Film vs. Film. We did Mission Impossible vs. Indiana Jones, and we did Oppenheimer versus Barbie. Next time you hear from us, it'll be about a week's time, and we will be kicking off our second season with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse versus Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Those films are now available to watch on streaming services across Australia and around the world. So get onto them now and uh, we will not be shying away from spoilers as we attempt to deconstruct the current popularity of multiverses in mainstream cinema. Boys, it's going to be one hell of a nerdy podcast. I can't wait for season two. I'm so excited that we're still doing this. Well, I'm glad that we mentioned Hitchcock because we've just, uh, I think episode three might uh, feature Exactly, yes. And in fact, so excited. I... I Two days ago, I, I I was looking up our listing and I thought, that is going to be a cracker of an yeah. episode. Episode three, look out for it. It's, we're not going to say what it is just Anytime now. Anytime put Hitchcock into Hitchcock the fray yes. with what Hitchcock, but the, one with the we're doing that it, Hitchcock brings. But let me say that the film we're doing it with, which will be less well known, mm. is as good as Psycho. Yeah. That's yeah, a big call, yeah, Bruce. Yeah. That is a very, very big call. All right. So there is a little bit of a spoiler. Psycho versus <laughs> another horror film that is just See, as great. good. Just as you said, we're not going to say yeah, it now. We're going to keep this But it's okay. I think that's good. We won't say what yeah, the other one is, but it is, one is. it is genuinely better, just as good, I it's think. It's so it, good. It came out the so same So influential. Year. Only ruined the filmmaker's right. career as well. Now, <laughs> don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen to us because it will help other people to find this podcast. Um, I've been Craig Anderson. I've been Herschel Isaacs. I've been Bruce Isaacs. Thanks for listening and join us again for Film vs. Film. Take two. Film vs. Film. Film.